0: This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom Dioria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom Dioria. Welcome to IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM eleven hundred. I'm Tom Dioria. It's Sunday the twenty third of September two thousand and twelve. It's the last Sunday in the summer. That's depressing. Um we're on at 6 p.m. in the New York listening area and 3 p.m. in Arizona, and that's going to change soon also. Um, we go to get off daylight savings time, not in Arizona, only in New York. Uh, and we're live uh, from our New York offices, and we have an interesting topic. It's uh, sort of a technology topic. It's high frequency trading, and our guest Joe Salusi is going to tell us about what that means, and you're going to be very surprised, I think, by what you hear. I'm Tom Dioria. I'm CEO of Information Methods, Incorporated, and together with our weekly guest, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology user, make pretty use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, Tech Talk provides you the review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with our increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with our industry-wide report, which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors new releases of software equipment, or new contract opportunities. One of our guests followed us from many aspects of business and industry, and if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email your suggestions to Tech Talk, that's T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K, at IMI-US.com, and we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send an email questions with questions on today's topic. Uh, or anything else that we might be able to help you with, you can call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369. And if you're outside the Phoenix listening area, call us toll-free at 1-866-536-1100. You can also use that email address, techtalk at uscom to send us uh, email suggestions or questions during the show. We monitor that. If we don't get you on tonight, we'll get you on next week, uh, or uh, we'll send you a response during the week. We're also being simulcast on the web, so if you can't get to your radio but want to listen to us live, please go to KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to... Any of the shows that we've done in the past or today's show, again, you can go to our website, which is imi-us.com. In the upper right-hand corner is the Tech Talk button. Click, uh, click on that, and then you'll see an archive button. All the shows are there. You can download them, listen to them as many times as you want, send them to your friends. Uh, it's all free. Our first segment, as I mentioned, is our Week in Review. It's our increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world. It's compiled by Dave Brandon, Dan Deoria, and Jose Batista. We have a lot to tell you about. Uh, we're going to get to the Apple. Uh, I, you all have your iPhone 5s. I don't. But first, I want to tell you about a Brooklyn uh, startup donating old phones to charity. This is from Cranes. Exchange My Phone, a Brooklyn-based startup, will take a person's old telephone, erase all their data from it, and recycle it or refurbish it for donation to the person's choice, from 765,000 charities. Anyone with an old phone can go on their website, get a price quote for their device, according to Cranes. If a phone is very old or irreparably broken, uh, then the company sends the customer a postage-paid shipping label so they can send it in to be recycled. The average price quote for an old phone is about $50, according to co-founder Catherine Preston. After stripping all of the data and refurbishing the old phone, they then donate them to the customer's designated charity. If the customer doesn't designate a charity, then the company sells the refurbished phone at a very low price to people who can't afford a brand-new phone. Um, They told us that um, the company works with businesses to offer a solution to the problems of what to do with old cell phones when their employees upgrade. Uh, this program is uh, really popular because it provides companies with a new revenue stream and gives them an easy uh, way to donate to charity. In the past year, the company has recycled or resold about 500 phones. Revenues are up more than 100% than last year. So it's Exchange My Phone. Board of Elections in New York to count uh, ballots using computers. New York Convergence tells us to reduce human error. The city board of elections will implement a new system for counting primary ballots that involves computer technology. Poll workers currently add up results by hand from voting machines and then retransmit the data to cops, which is then entered a second time. The new system will involve using memory sticks from the machines that will then be transmitted to the central board, and through the process will be slow. Although the process will be slow, its goal is to be more accurate. Uh, Poll workers will still use the old counting method, but only as a backup. Cablevision develops um, on creating social TV technology, uh, allowing subscribers to be in contact through voice chat or video calls during programming. According to uh, Fierce Cable, the patent application is called Virtual Communal Television Viewing, VCTV, and lets the users find friends or others with similar interests for communal viewing sessions. Hmm. Additionally, users are expected to be able to access this feature with cable set-tops, gaming consoles, smartphones, and tablet computers. The patent also details how users can find friends for these viewing parties. Each user may watch television content in their own home while simultaneously communicating with others via voice or video chat or video conference. Uh, the virtual communal television watching and discussion session is called a viewing party. There is a chance that Cablevision will use these viewing parties to drive ad revenue, you think? Okay, USA Today tells us that Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer joined HTC CEO Peter Chow in an event in Manhattan uh, to unveil two new Windows phones, officially dubbed the Windows Phone 8X and the Windows Phone 8X. Uh, The former has a 4.3-inch high-definition display. The latter, a 4-inch lower-resolution display. Both rely on Beats Audio technology. The 8X has an especially ultra-wide angle font-facing camera lens that would let you show friends crowding around you and not just your face. HTC is positioning the devices as a signature Windows Phone 8 device. Uh, the unibody HTC phones come in a variety of colors and are built around Microsoft Windows Phone Live Tile software interface. The 8X is coming to the U.S. market in November from AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon Wireless. The 8 is also expected in November, but prices have not been event- uh, announced. Okay, so as you probably know, uh, the iPhone uh, topped $2 million in their first, Or two million orders in their first 24 hours. That was more than double the amount of its predecessor over the same period. And from New York to San Francisco and Des Moines to Louisville, scores of consumers lined up for much in demand in the iPhone 5, the latest generation device. Uh, And as you know from uh, last week's show, told you about what the phone had to offer before it did come out, bigger, faster, lighter and more feature laden than the older generations Uh, but uh, we've been driving by uh, as we drive by places at and Verizon Wireless you see that uh, there are very long lines on Friday morning when the phone was uh, first to come out and just in terms of dollars uh, Apple climbed uh, as high as 610 to 704 dollars a few days ago and the flagship store in san francisco somebody spent 94 hours at the head of the line pretty interesting that uh people do that but uh unfortunately we have to wait until our contract is up in november so everybody will have a much bigger head start than we have Uh, but people are pretty excited about this and uh i think we're going to see how if this Phone lives up to its uh, hype, and also to see whether or not, in fact, um, what the user reaction is going to be. Them changing the power outlet, uh, which I assume is also going to ripple through all the uh, Apple products. Okay, so we're going to take a break. Um, we're going to get to our guest. Um, please stay tuned. We're going to talk to you about high frequency training trading, and even if you're a small investor only trading, uh, you know, a few stocks every now and then. You're going to be very interesting about, interested about how this is affecting. You may have read about it a little bit in the uh, papers where Congress is now taking a look at this uh, due to a crash that happened a month or so ago. I'm Tom Dioria, live at IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's Sunday, September 23rd, 2012. We're going to take a break and be with Joe Salusi right after these messages, so please stay tuned. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX, AM 1100. I'm Tom Diori. It's Sunday, September 23rd, 2012. And uh, we're live from our New York offices. And uh, as I mentioned to you before the break, uh, we're going to have an interesting show, a little different perspective on technology. We're going to talk to you about high-frequency trading. And our guest is uh, Joe Saluzzi, who's a partner, co-founder, and co-head of Equity Trading at Themis Trading, LLC. He has extensive experience in equities trading as an expert in electronic trading and market structure. Uh, He headed the team uh, prior to Themis uh, responsible for equity sales and trading for hedge fund accounts at Instinet Corporation, uh, if I didn't pronounce that right, Joe will correct me, for more than nine years um, Joe has provided analysis to regulators, including the Secure and Exchange Commission, and as a member of the Commodity Features Trading Commission's new subcommittee on automated and high-frequency training, uh, Joe has appeared or been quoted on market structure issues by media outlets such as CB, CB CBS is sixty minutes. BBC Radio, Bloomberg Television and Radio, C N B C Fox Business. I'm glad we got that in. And many more. Joe, thanks a lot for taking the time to be with us. We really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, so I'm um, gonna be talking about high frequency training trading.
1: What is that? Well, it's a you know, it's a dominant force in the marketplace right now. Just before I even need to explain what it is, it represents almost between 50 and 70% of the volume that's currently traded in the equities market is related to this high frequency trading so you know what is it well it's an automated style of trading it is uh, it relies on very low latency connections to the computers to the main exchange servers from the New York Stock Exchange and other exchanges it is uh, based on algorithms algorithms are making the decisions of all the trading. Usually, the algorithms sit in the servers at the exchange room, so so the the latency needs to be as short as possible to get the speed. And basically, high-frequency trading is always about speed. They need to be first in line on the order book, and it's always about getting the order first or winning the trade. Um, It usually uh, surrounds short holding periods. They tend to buy and sell quickly, and there's usually not much inventory involved when they are buying and selling. They kind of flip them back and forth. But the bottom line is it is a speed trading system. And, you know, the market has changed so much over the last few years that this has now become the dominant force. And it's replaced the traditional institutional and retail investors as the dominant force. Uh, yeah, for those of us that
0: uh, used to trade in paper
1: stocks, we've
0: gone a long way in 40 years or so. Um how did you get into this? What what um, what from your background lends you lends you into this uh, high frequency trading and and using more uh, you know computing power to do the to do the actual trades?
1: Well, actually, what, we, what we're doing here is we've been analyzing it. We're actually agency brokers, so my job is to trade on behalf of my institutional clients. So I'm trading for hedge funds and mutual funds, and they need to execute in a world and trade in a world where they're pretty much outgunned and out, you know, by the computers. The computers are much faster than humans, and we all know that. So what happened was about 10 years ago, actually a little bit less than that, maybe seven, eight years ago, we noticed that the markets were changing, and it wasn't for the good. And we thought the everything, we started seeing flickering in quotes and moving around a lot, and we started digging some more and found out that the market structure, at least in the U.S., and now we realize it's globally, has changed so much that it now is it caters to the high frequency trader. So just to clarify, we're not, we're definitely not high frequency traders here. If anything, people have called us the, uh, the HFT, the acronym everyone uses for it is HFT, that we're the HFT critics and, and we'll turn around and say, no, we're, we're critics of the current market structure because we don't think the equity market as is right now is a sustainable place and we think the risk and the systemic risk that are currently built into the market, um, pose a big problem. And, you know, we've seen this with issues like the flash crash back in uh, May of 2010, and we see it almost every day now with smaller events going through the market. It's almost like, you know, as an earthquake, you start to see little ripples here and there, maybe smaller quakes, and then you get the big earthquake. Well, you're constantly seeing the small earthquakes, and, you know, we've had one or two big earthquakes over the last few years. So is your
0: is what you just said about the way you feel about this and where you see it's going and the problems, is, is that... And does that have anything to do with what we've seen recently um, in the papers about uh, Congress looking into this whole thing of high-frequency trades, or is that something different?
1: Yeah, it does. Um, It it has directly looked into it, It, it directly the reason why Congress is looking at it now. In fact, they've kind of taken a a couple of years off here. (laughs) There was a senator, Senator Kaufman from Delaware, who was very active in the debate back in 2009 and 2010 and then he left office and it's kind of been quiet in the in the ranks of DC but we've had a lots of events lately that are really shaking the confidence of a lot of investors and now congress is coming back and saying hey what's going on and they're they're demanding answers now from the SEC, who has also kind of been very slow when it comes to addressing some of the issues. Um, You know, they've kind of put some Band-Aid approaches on, Band-Aid fixes since the 2010 flash crash, but there's still so many problems that are out there. So, yeah, it's no doubt they're they're looking at it... um, you know, we've been looking at it so much. We wrote a book on it. We wrote a book called Broken Markets, which we put out in June of this year, and it details everything about how the markets changed, what you know, what what it looks like now versus what it looked what it used to look like. like you were talking about before a few years ago. Well, how like, when you look on TV now, that's just kind of like a TV studio. If you see the New York Stock Exchange, that's not really where the trading actually takes place. Um, but you know, things have changed, and, and you know, we certainly think investors need to be aware of it.
0: Now, um, tell us a little bit more about the book. I mean, obviously you wrote it for the reasons you just stated, that you think the, the system is broken
1: or needs, needs help. Um, but tell us a little bit more about it and what the audience is. Sure. I think the, the audience would certainly be any investor, anybody who has money in the stock market in any way, whether it's a 401k or you're an active day trader or you're a professional trader an institutional hedge fund manager. You need to know, and the way we look at it is, if you were a race car driver and you had a high-performance vehicle, wouldn't you want to know how that engine was working in order to get you around the track? Well, this is the same way. You need to know what the engine is. If you're investing money in the stock market, you should know how the market works now. And it's changed so much that... A lot of people are starting to lose confidence in in the actual system itself. So we wrote the book pretty much to, we've been writing, we have a blog we run on our regular website and, you know, we keep it public for most people, you know, most of our posts we put up there and we kept writing and writing. We've been writing for probably three or four years, my partner Sal Arnick and I. And we finally said, hey, let's put this together into a book and and make it a much easier read than, you know, looking through our website trying to piece this stuff out because it is very complicated. The inner workings of the stock market it, it's gotten so complex and just as an example, most people thought that there's two exchanges. There's Nasdaq, which you know has tech companies, and then there's the New York stock exchange which has the blue chips and the you know, the big ones like IBM and so on. Well that's not the case anymore. There's currently thirteen stock exchanges in the United States and there's over forty quote unquote dark pools which are what they call unlit menus where you can hide your uh, bids and offers, and they don't have to interact with the displayed venues if they don't want to. So it got really complex, and it created this maze of activity, essentially. In order to figure out how it's trading, it's, it's you're going through this whole maze of touching. One person takes a look at your order. Maybe somebody doesn't. And we wanted to basically lay out a map or a blueprint that says, This is what the current stock. This is where it used to be. These were the regulations that changed over the past fifteen years. This is what's been created now. This is how the current stock market actually works. And then at the end of the book, we talk about solutions and how we think we can fix it or at least control what's been going on out there. That's that's pretty interesting.
0: Uh, We've got a a minute left in this segment. so before I get into you know, talking a little bit more about solutions and stuff, do you think, the? because uh, we always hear these things going back and forth in, in the press about how regulations either positively or negatively affect it, did regulations have a, uh, a major effect
1: on, on what, we're, what you're seeing today? Yeah, they did, and they actually it's been 15 years since, uh, actually 1997 was the first regulation called the Order Handling Rules, and then there was subsequently a whole bunch more culminating in 2007 with something called Reg NMS. Those regulations changed the way the stock market worked, and essentially the high-frequency traders figured it out and figured out a way to uh, take advantage of the new system, but along the way regular investors kind of got left in the dust, and it's caused a lot of havoc along the way. But the regulations, and we call it the Franken market or Frankenstein market, and, you know, the SEC, unfortunately, was, was behind Was Dr. Free, you know, they created this. They created Frankenstein, and now we're trying to figure out how do you deal with it? It's such a monster. Do you, do you dismantle it altogether? Do you take it out piece by piece? And it's not as easy, you know, it's it's a difficult process to fix, but it needs to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed now. So I assume it's not as easy as just getting rid of all the regulations. No, no, because then you'll create a new void. And we don't think a whole a, a brand new set of regulations is certainly going to hurt. Um, there's all different, some people are saying tax, you can do it, and there's different ways of attacking it. But tweaking certain pieces of the model, which I'll discuss later, we think could have a market-based solution. The real, The best solution to all problems, we think, is when the market says this is the direction you should be going, and not when the regulators come in and say, oh, we think this is right, and then you have all these unintended consequences.
0: Okay, this is Tom DiOria. Uh, you're listening to Tech Talk live from our offices in New York. And we're talking to you today about high-frequency uh, trading with our guest, uh, Joe uh, Salusti, who's the uh, co-founder, co-head, and partner of Themis Trading. And uh, if you have any questions, give us a call at 277-KFNX. And if you're outside the 602-Listening area, call us toll-free at one 866 I'm Tom DiOria. We're going to take a break, and we're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's uh, Sunday, the 23rd of September, 2012. And uh, we're talking to you today about high-frequency trading with our guest, uh, Joe Salusi. And uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, how regulations have helped create uh, the problem there was. And uh, Joe, give us the name of the book again and tell our listeners sure. where they can get it. Uh, broken Markets. Okay, and uh, I guess they can get it anywhere, go to Amazon and find
1: yep. it? Yep, Amazon, uh, local bookstores as well, but okay, Amazon's the easiest.
0: Okay, and uh, Joe's last name is spelled S-A-L-U-Z-Z-I, for those of you who want to find that book by the author's name. So we talked a little bit about how regulation screwed everything up. Um, the solutions that you offer, are they solutions for the industry as a whole, or are they... Will they help a the small investor who doesn't even know he has that he's in this situation? We think it will help. will know after he reads
1: your book. But right, we, we think it'll help the stock market. We think. If there, you know, a few things that I'll recommend will, will take out a lot of the, the games and the arbitrage games that currently go on and will essentially take out some of the systemic risk that's currently built into the market because of these high-speed computers who essentially have no obligation to trade. You know, the old days of specialists and market makers, they did have some sort of obligation to be in the market. They were kind of like a, an inventory buffer when times would get tough. Nowadays, you know, a market maker could just unplug the machine and walk away. And that's exactly what happened on May 6th of 2010. So, you know, we think that overall every investor would benefit from a healthier, um, stable market. And what's happening now is a lot of investors don't trust the market. They see these events. They see when, you know, the other day oil dropped $5. And this is not just an equity problem, by the way. This is almost every market right now. The high frequency traders have entered all of these markets, and not just in the U.S. globally. They're in the commodities market. They're in the FX market. They're trying to get into the bond market more. So, you know the computers. You would think everyone says technology is great, and, and we agree. And if you look at my trading desk, I've got technology everywhere here. I've got computer. i got six computer computer screens on my desk. But it comes a point where you add a level of risk, which is not necessarily healthy for a stock market. Which is essentially, the stock market is a core of an economy. You need a, a healthy stock market to help capital uh, being raised, all- allocation of capital, and so on. So we think a few tweaks to the current system will change the. Um, conflicts that are out there and the benefits that are being gotten and will create more of a healthy marketplace. Okay, so obviously you're not
0: advocating the abolition of technology. Oh, um, no, just because. I, ga- I gather uh, you're looking to use it in a more productive
1: way. I don't know if that's correct, but. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and efficiency is great. A technology, you can do so much more now, and your—you know makes my desk more efficient, and that's a good thing. But when it comes to the point of shaving milliseconds, so a millisecond is, is a thousandth of a second. And when you're talking in high-frequency trading terms, that's actually a long time. because Now they're talking about microseconds, which are millionth of a second. So it's all about the time that this travels from point A to point B. For instance, if your computer is located in Chicago, and you need to get some New York prices... How long does it take that information to travel from New York to Chicago? And I'll give you an example of what we're talking about. On average, that would take about 16 milliseconds, okay, so a very short amount of time for it to travel. Well, some company found out that that current path actually has to go around a mountain range in Pennsylvania. So they decided to drill a hole through the Pennsylvania mountains and make a more direct path, all right? The direct path saved three milliseconds off the time of a trip from New York to Chicago, and now only takes 13 milliseconds. However, to get on this new private line, you have to pay them a healthy healthy amount of money. No one even knows what they're charging. They keep it very quiet. They have a subset of subscribers who come on. But each millisecond, and some people have determined that each millisecond could be worth up to $100 million a year in high-frequency trading profits. So you bet you want to be on that line. You bet you want to take advantage of that line so you can get ahead of somebody else. And then we ask, is that trading? Is that really what investing is supposed to be about? Shaving milliseconds so you can pick off somebody else who didn't see you coming? That's not supposed to be the use. That's not the use of technology. And then we wonder, is that a, you know, even is that the best use of our best engineers out there to go figure out how to shave a millisecond off? That's
0: amazing. That yeah. uh, I mean, I you know, for the layman who really doesn't have a clue what goes on out there, saving off a millisecond, you wouldn't even think about, you know, so if the trade took a minute, who cares? Right. Um, but obviously what you're saying, there's a there's significant impact. Um, without going into the whole technology and trading, how does that affect it? I mean, so I save a millisecond, What what does that get me?
1: Right. So if you're the high-frequency trader and you save that millisecond, now you have an advantage over all other high-frequency traders and, of course, over, let's just call them low-frequency traders or traditional investors. You can get ahead. You can see information a little bit quicker, which will allow you to make pretty much almost risk-free profits. And here's the question that we always have. If somebody's making money in trading, that means somebody else is losing. It is a zero-sum game. There's no doubt about it. Where is the money coming from? For the guy who's you know making all this excess returns, well, it's coming from traditional investors. Yet they don't know it. It's like getting your pocket picked and not even realize that your pocket just got picked because it's coming out in transaction cost. It's coming out in leakage of information. And at the end of the day, say you were an institutional investor and you were looking to buy fifty thousand shares of IBM, you wouldn't even know that you were just picked off. But your transaction costs would be higher. And this is what people don't see. They think of transaction cost a lot of people just assume that's a being commission cost. And that's not the case. It's your it's the actual cost of doing the trade. So if somebody had a faster wire and was able to see that an order was coming in before other people were seeing it, let's just say, they can use that to their advantage. And that's the whole game or part of the game of high frequency trading. Getting access to information faster and then acting on it, having your algorithm sit at the server room so they can make So you can have your strategy sitting there and taking advantage of the information that you've now taken in. It all works together. You have to have the hardware, the software, and the data. That's the key. And the the real crux of the problem becomes, well, why is that data getting out there so fast? Shouldn't somebody be regulating that? And and that's a whole other story.
0: (laughs) So you just said, or you told us before, that you're not the typical HFT trader. But you wrote a book that and we'll get into some of the solutions without giving away the whole book, Um, that HFT traders have an obviously advantage. So why would I, once I read your book, go to a firm like yours that's not an HFT firm? When I want to put all my
1: stuff into an HFT firm because I need that advantage? Well, an HFT firm is not trading on behalf of clients, first of all. They're most, of, most of the time, they're trading on their own proprietary account. So they're not going to, unless you're an investor in a hedge fund, which happens to run an HFT strategy, then you may benefit. Okay, but if you are just looking to execute your own retail order, you no, know, you're going to be trading, your order will be trading against high-frequency trading firms. So you have to say, you know, when they say you're at a poker table and you don't know who the sucker is, and it's usually you then at that point, well, usually, that's usually, that's the way it works in HFT and trading. And even if you wanted to get into HFT, let's just and, and by the way, let me just back up. We're not, we don't do any automated trading here. We're not, we're like I said, we're agency brokers on and trading on behalf of institutional clients. So I'm not automating trading. I'm not trading for my own account for that matter. It's all execution only for other clients who come to us and say, "Listen, Joe, I'm trying to." buy 100,000 shares of a stock, and I'm getting picked off all day, I know these guys are abusing my order, I don't know exactly what it is, I don't have the time to be watching it all day, then they'll come to me and they'll say, listen, can you trade this for me on my behalf, and can you lower my execution cost? And that's where that—that's what we do for a living. I will lower his execution cost, and and, and should do a better job than, let's just say, a generic algorithm, algorithm that he can buy off the shelf. And we'll do a better job, lower his cost, and save his investors' money. That money would have normally been picked off and siphoned by some high-frequency traders. So, you know, that, uh, that's okay. our part of the business, yeah.
0: Okay, gotcha. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, once again, you're listening to Tech Talk live from New York. I'm Tom DiOria. It's Sunday, the 23rd of September, 2012. And we're discussing high frequency trading with our guest, Joe Salusi. And, uh, please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI Tech Talk. I'm KFNX AM1100. I'm Tom Dioria. And, uh, we have a very interesting, uh, show today. We're talking to Joe Salusi about high frequency trading. Um, and how technology is either making your trades or not making your trades either profitable or less profitable. And uh, Joe's been giving us a a lot of good insight into this. Joe, can you give us the name of the book again? And if our listeners want to follow up with you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Sure. Uh, The name of the book is Broken Markets, uh, available, of course, on Amazon. And if they wanted to, actually, uh, we have a website. It's T H E M I S Trading, T-H-E-M-I-S Trading.com. And we post a lot of information on there, and my contact info is on there. I'm also on Twitter, at Joe Saluzzi, and we're we're pretty active when it comes to Twitter. We put a lot of market structure comments out as well.
0: Okay, and Saluzzi Saluzzi is S-A-L-U-Z-Z-I, just for those of us that can't spell. Let's go back to... Or go to the solution without giving away the book in its entirety. But when you're handling your institutional investors, I guess, and and you know retail investors, um, what do you recommend that they do to handle what I guess you're calling a uh, you know broken markets? I'm going to ask you the same question about individuals. What's the recommendation? I mean, how do you situate yourself so that you're somewhat covered?
1: Right. For when we're trading here, a lot of things that we have to do, it's almost like you have to dance around a lot and almost randomize yourself. The whole trick is not to get leave any footprints and leave any cookie crumbs. Anytime they can model your behavior that you will be taken advantage of, and this is from an institutional perspective for a larger order, you need to kind of figure out the right spot to be like I was saying before there's so many different destinations and so many different places but you do tend to leave tracks and when you leave a track then people can model your behavior and pretty much trade ahead of that which is technically not illegal people will say well isn't that front-running and the answer is no because if it's not your client then it's not front-running if somebody who's just reading the tea leaves let's just say in an automated fashion, it's not front-running at all. It's just trading ahead. But you know, there's, there's something currently in the market, and this is one of our biggest you know, problems with it. It's called this, it's a rebate model or a payment-for-order flow. Exchanges will pay their clients to come to their exchange to add liquidity, quote-unquote add liquidity, in other words, place an order on that system. This maker, they call it the maker-taker model, or, or let's just call it a rebate model. The rebate model has distorted asset prices, and it's distorted where you should be trading your stocks. In other words, I, uh, somebody may be incentivized to go to a broker to an exchange because they're going to pay them more for that flow. But that the trading itself may actually be less advantageous to that client. So what we do is obviously I'm not I'm not conflicted when it comes to what destination I'm going to. I'm trying to get the best execution for my client, and my client will know at the end of the day they can run a transaction cost analysis on what I did. They can see where I went, and they'll know if I did a good job or not. And you know we're pretty much tracked in that respect. From a retail's perspective, the simplest thing I can always say is never ever ever place a market order. If you go into your retail broker and you say, Hey, I want to buy 500 shares of XYZ, and you hit market order, you've just cost yourself at least a couple of pennies. Because by the really? time that, unless, unless it's a stock like Bank of America, which trades you know hundreds of millions of shares a day, if you're trading stocks that are relatively inactive, let's just say less than 100,000 shares a day, that order will get abused and it'll go through a chain that can sniff and sniffed and pinged and and prodded and by the time it comes out, you'll wonder how did that happen, and that's just because there are these incentives for order flow to be sold and to be shipped out to brokers who pay the most. So there, there's all sorts of conflicts of interest. Inherent in the stock market that you really have to be careful of, and it is a, a dangerous game. Uh, now, if you're a long-term investor and you say, hey, Joe, I'm just buying 100 shares of an ETF every six months, you should be okay. Okay, you, you're probably not going to get affected here. But again, place limit orders. Don't place market orders.
0: What happens if what you suggest, what you recommend, doesn't come to pass?
1: Well, what we, we are we doing? To- is
0: this all going to just continue
1: and you know, the rich will get richer? Well, what's going to happen is the game is changing for the, even for the high-frequency traders because the margins, their the marginal cost to increase to shave a millisecond is becoming greater than what they're making in the market. So it's becoming much much tougher for them even to play this game because of course competition comes in once they realize it was it was free money they were pulling out for a number of years. It's becoming difficult, but on the flip side, it's also becoming much more risky. Because you have a lot of players in there now, some are le- lightly capitalized, that all of a sudden you know, may take on a larger position if they don't, let's just say, a rogue algorithm. For instance, a couple of weeks back, or a month back, Knight Securities went through the market and had a rogue algorithm operate for 45 minutes, ended up losing $440 million and essentially bankrupted the company. They needed to have a lifeline from some other brokers and save them, otherwise they would have been out of business. That was an algorithm that ran amok. And that could happen at any time, at any moment in the market. And everyone's going to just stand there and go, what just happened? And then everyone else will just pull out, they'll plug, unplug the machines like they did the last time. And we are at risk of a major drop, just like we were back in March of 10. And what happened in March of 10 was we were lucky because the market didn't close. The market snapped right back because once everybody realized it was a technical problem, the buyers started coming in. If you were to close one day, if this happened at the end of the day and you close there, well, then the ripple would be felt all around the globe. Then everyone would wonder what's going on. Then you got a major catastrophe on your hand. So there's all sorts of these problems that exist, and the SEC has tried to address it by putting in things like circuit breakers, which would essentially stop a stock from trading once it goes down a certain amount. For instance, if it moves 10% within five minutes, it'll stop. But that's not the problem because it's the speed of the drop that's the problem. You could drop 10% in a minute. The entire market, that could happen. And it probably will. If you ask me for a prediction, will it happen again if nothing is addressed? The answer is yes, and it will be worse next time. And then that shakes confidence. So even if the market did rally back, but now investors like yourself may be saying, well, what kind of game is this? This is a rigged game. What are those crazy Wall Street guys doing with their computers now? I don't feel comfortable in the money in the market. I'm taking my money, and I'm going to put it in the bonds, and the bond market, and they're one and three quarters on the treasury. That's not healthy for the economy, because now companies can't get access to capital and grow their companies so they can increase revenue, so they can create jobs. We're talking about a much bigger picture here. So we we need to get this systemic risk that's currently built into the system out and bring back the stock market to its true purpose, which is to help companies raise capital so they can get bigger.
0: So, I mean, when you're going through that description, these algorithms that are being created by humans could potentially have bugs in them or, or be an incorrect algorithm? I mean, is there any confidence that the technology that's being developed is good technology? I mean, well, the SEC, put aside, HFT, put aside the, the whole issue of, you know, what HFT does. But, right. I mean, what happens if somebody writes an algorithm that has a bug in it and, you know, starts doing right. stuff? Right.
1: Rips through the market, Right.
0: The SEC, yeah.
1: just, they, they asked the same question. The Security Exchange Commission just asked the same question. And, in fact, on October 2nd, they're having a roundtable, technology roundtable discussion, to talk about just exactly that question. What kind of errors could potentially be out there, and how do you prevent them? Well, how are these algorithms being certified? Who's watching it? And to be honest, right now there's really not much of certification and anybody can jump into the market and wreak havoc. And let's just say you're a lightly capitalized hedge fund and maybe you only got five million dollars in capital, which is small for you know a fund, okay, you'll rip through that five million, you'll be out of business, and you could also destroy a significant piece of the stock market along the way. So people are nervous about this. They are concerned, and you know, Mark Cuban, who's a you know great entrepreneur and owner of the Dallas Mavericks, who is also a software engineer by trade, you know, the company called Podcast.com, back in the 90s that he sold, he said that there is no piece of software that he's ever seen that could essentially be declared 100% bug-free. And, and it's No, impossible. and I agree. I mean, we, we've
0: we been involved in that, you know, since the 70s. And, right. you know, when they were using punch cards, that just shows you how old I am. Um, mm-hmm. And no matter how much testing you do, there's still going to be something that you didn't catch, that, you know, in less volatile situations... It's not a big deal, but in this kind of thing where everything is happening in
1: uh, quicker than nanoseconds, yeah. you know, going through that mountain, you'll never catch it. Right, and the collateral damage is enormous, and it would take in regular retail investors who have nothing to do with it. It's one thing that if you're playing in this in this game and you're only playing with guys who are doing the same thing, and if you know if it collapses, well, you all lose your money and that's it. Well, here a collapse, the collateral damage is all of us. It's in the entire stock market. It's all about confidence.
0: So what's your your, uh, final hope, suggestion, wish, desire? Uh, Do the feds have to get involved and and take a really close look at at either modifying the
1: regulations or increasing the regulations? Well, we we hope they don't over-regulate because usually when a problem happens, they'll wait too long, and then all of a sudden everyone will just jump and say, okay, we've got to – redo the whole thing. That's probably not the right approach because we've seen in the past the regulations didn't work in the first place. We think a tactical approach is better where you, you, you target things like we're talking about this payment for order flow and, and rebate system that's out there. You could also uh, bring back the short sale rule, which essentially said that you can't short a stock or bet on it going down unless it has an uptick. Things like that could take some volatility out of the market. But, you know, we, we do fear a bigger problem unless it, they start to act now um, the European regulators, just as an aside, they're much more aggressive in this situation. and They're talking about banning high-frequency trading altogether. We're not for that. We believe a marketplace solution is the best. The market decides what's best. And but if you come in with these artificial bans or they're talking about transaction taxes in Europe, that's another bad thing because a transaction tax cashes everybody. It, it, right. You as a mutual fund investor are now gonna to have to pay more, which makes no sense. That's a discouragement to investment. So the right approach is to target the areas that are problematic, target the areas that have all of these risk levels in there, and then the market will work itself out. And one consequence unfortunately which may be that spreads as they say the difference between a bid and an offer that may widen a bit but we would say it actually may be good because then you're taking out some of this excess trading which is just causing you know liquidity gaps when depending on the situation so there are ramifications to every time you do something of course there's going to be another part of that but you have to do something now because the events are happening more frequently you know, just pay, look back at Facebook. That was a disaster, the IPO of Facebook. NASDAQ couldn't get the Facebook open. They couldn't get the IPO open because of a technical problem. That's a stock exchange not opening one of the highest-profile IPOs in history. That was a disaster for the market, a confident yep. shaker. You, you, you can't make that stuff up. So they need, they need to be addressed now. The SEC appears to be getting more active in the debate, And but here's your problem. The industry is so powerful. And there's so much money here at stake that every time you try to do something, they throw a wrench in it and they say, hold on, you don't want to do that. Let, 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 let's talk about this. And then the lobbyists who are down in D.C. throwing tons of money out there managed to stop the process. So we got to kind of get through this logjam here and hopefully see some changes and results, and you know, and we'll see where it goes from there.
0: All right, Joe, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Maybe... Uh... A few months from now, when things start to happen, we can have you back on the show, and you can give us your perspective of what's going on. You bet. So I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, IMI's president, Dave Brandon, and Jose Batista and Dan Dioria for our weekend review. Taylor Red is our producer. Matt Compagni is our executive producer, and from the production department, Robert Bomback, You wouldn't hear any of this. So thanks again for listening, and please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week at 6 p.m. in New York on KFNX AM 1100. Remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to Tech at IMI-US.com have a great week thanks again for listening and next week it'll be autumn